0: Hey guys, and welcome back to the Winging It podcast. I'm Lucy Hitchcock, founder, podcast host, rosé lover, and dog mum. After I discovered the London agency life and corporate world made me severely unhappy, I left my nine to five job in 2015 and founded my own digital marketing agency, Sassy Digital. After carving out my own career path, I found that lots of others were reaching out to me on Instagram asking how I'd managed to create my dream career and have a life that I love because of it. So, the Winging It podcast was born. I want to help business babes and career women all over the world do the same as me and have a career that makes them happy, whether that's working for someone else or starting your own business. In 2020, during a global pandemic, I founded my second business, Partner in Wine, after discovering that I had nothing to keep my beloved rose cool on the go while having socially distanced drinks with my friends. I created the Partner in Wine, an insulated bottle shaped like a wine bottle that holds a full bottle of wine, keeps it cool for up to 24 hours in the summer and warm for up to 12 hours in the winter. You're listening to Series 4. This series, I'm going through each and every step that I took that has made Partner in Wine the success that it is today. Just six months after launch, not only have we had a sellout Christmas, we've now moved into a fulfillment center to keep up with demand. We've been featured in several publications such as Good Housekeeping Magazine, The Sun and The Mirror. We've collaborated with my all-time favorite rosé brand, Mirabu, and we have had some really, really exciting developments, which I will share with you throughout 2021. So in this series, let's learn how to successfully bring a product to market. This series is for everyone, whether you're thinking about launching, you've already got a product out there and you want to emulate this success, or you're just interested to see what it takes to bring an idea to life. Now, let's get into today's episode. Hello. Today I'm joined by one of my favorite people to follow on Instagram. And Vix, I don't say this about everyone, but I just think your content is particularly, just every post you do, I'm like, mm, yeah, that is good. I'm going to remember that one.
1: Nice well the same goes back to you mate. Oh thank you. <laughs> I love the um, I love the Sassy Digital sense that's what I call it. There's a lot of sense that goes on on that Sassy Digital account and um, I'm here for it. Do you know what I think it is?
0: I'm all about the no nonsense and I feel we're aligned with that.
1: Yeah 100%. No
0: nonsense here, no bullshit, <laughs> absolutely not. I think that's one of the things I think there's when I started Sassy Digital, I was like, oh sorry, by the way, my dog's like working from home life. He's looking at squirrels out of my front window. So when I started Sassy Digital, I felt like there was loads of digital agencies kind of just like giving the spiel and like telling people what they wanted to hear rather than saying what the actual truth of the matter is.
1: I agree. And actually, I was going to do like a little reel about this soon and how, especially a lot of like Instagram marketers, it's all this like fancy kind of fluff. And then what they're actually saying is, guys, you should just definitely like post to Instagram. And what would be a really great idea for your account is, you know, put a hashtag in. It's like, yeah, what are you actually say what are you teaching. What's the actual value? Or are you just reeling off Instagram's features that everyone knows that they have? I find that a lot in all of that digital marketing space. It's like, guys, you should start an email list and guess what? Send an email. And it's like, cool. Do
0: you know why I think that is though? I think it's that old age sort of thing where people are scared to share too much because then it's like, well, if you share too much, then no one's going to come to you for help because you've told them how to do it. But I just don't think that's the case because I think some people will go and do it. Yes, but you know, they'll come to you for something else. So... Yeah, I don't know. I think the world is changing in that sort of information space.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think definitely I hear that a lot from Grow & Glow members who say, how much should I give away for free? And I'm like, all of it because there's layers to it because what you can share online in a a little infographic or in a 15-second reel is actually a much more in-depth and strategic topic that you need to go into in that person's own individual context. So there's so much more room to explore it but give it up and people will want to then explore it with you. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely. We've just gone on a total side tangent there, but that, I feel like that was real golden information that we just felt like we needed to impart on the world. Vix, can you tell us who you are? What do you do? And how has your career path led you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Vix Meldrew. I am what I call an online educator. I started off as a teacher but i will go right back to the early days if you want me to but i started my sort of adult career as a teacher primary school teacher taught for 6 years and at the same time as teaching started up a little blog and really enjoyed blogging loved the kind of whole blogging industry and how these women were just building these personal brands from their phones and working with brands going to exciting events meeting new friends and i wanted a slice of the pie so started my own blog whilst teaching full time And sort of worked for a couple of years to grow it, change it, pivot it, adapt it, start networking, start meeting the brands, start meeting more people in the industry. And long story short, like got to a really good place with the blog where it was a viable kind of income stream, sort of matched what I was making with teaching. And I thought, oh, okay, maybe. And right at the beginning, I thought, maybe I'll just do this for a year. And I'll have a break from teaching for a year and I'll do blogging for a year or give me the space that I need to rest from teaching and go to therapy and do all of those things that you can't do when you're teaching because you never have the time or space to. Yeah. And from there, everything kind of grew. And I realized that I didn't necessarily want to go back to teaching in, in that sort of traditional way. But I loved educating and, and working with people and sharing knowledge and mentoring and all that kind of stuff. So I then set up my business Grow and Glow, which is a personal branding membership, which essentially teaches people to do what I did, which was build a personal brand online and then turn it into your biz or on the other way, you already have your biz and you need a solid personal brand to help elevate it and help get it out into the world. So that's what I've been doing for the last couple of years, moving into kind of more courses and other education on topics around personal branding and mainly kind of Instagram, really and it's very very popular i feel
0: like both glow and grow and you on instagram are just like the go-to for personal branding you just share so much wisdom and insight and it's just yeah it's really useful love what you've built
1: yeah it's just good fun and it I get to talk about something that like I'm really passionate about and I get to meet people in this community, either fellow business owners such as yourself or members of the community who all have these ideas and creativity and you're action takers and you want to take over the world in your own individual way. But it's all with the view of building a life for yourself that is just sweet and you get to have fun and you get to work at home with your dog and you get to do all those brilliant yeah. things like the benefits of having your own business. But you just need a little hand holding along the way, sometimes with showing up online and, and putting yourself out there. So that's what I like doing. Yes. Do you know what? I did
0: not know that you were a teacher. Yeah. But that's, you know, it makes sense. You are an educator.
1: That's it. And I definitely started off in my early sort of career as going down like the coaching route a lot and blog coaching and, and social media coaching and influencer coaching. And I realized it. I actually went on Alice Benham's first Gather and Grow retreat. And during that retreat, speaking to all those wonderful women that were on this retreat, it was just like, they all saw me and they all said, you know, you are a teacher. This is your passion. Your passion is teaching. And it's just great that I can take that passion of teaching and and interpret it in a way that means I also get to have my own business and and do my own thing without marking books and being shouted out by a head teacher. So (laughs) win-win
0: oh yeah well we've all been shouted out by our boss haven't we yeah. I mean it's just uh it's just not the one yeah. living life on your own terms and go. your own boss when you left your teaching job to pursue this full-time can you just talk me through like what was going through your mind like did you find that scary at all because I feel like people are really interested in this sort of thing mm. like what led you to the point where you went do you know what actually screw this like I'm gonna do it I'm mm. actually going to do it
1: Yeah, so I think 2017 was my pivotal kind of year because I was working steadily with brands on brand collaborations and earning like well as an influencer. And I was having a lot of people come to me and say, how are you doing it? Like you don't have 10,000 followers, you're not on YouTube, you don't have a stereotypical kind of like influencer profile. How are you getting these brand deals? How are you earning this kind of consistent money? And I started helping people, giving them like my roadmap and these are my contacts and this is how I did it and all that kind of stuff. And that was at the same time of teaching. And I just met my now husband, Ben, and I was having dinner with his family and they were like, well, why don't you just do this full time? Like you're clearly passionate about it. You're clearly very good at it. You're growing it really well. And teaching is just causing you a lot of frustration and stress and overwhelm why don't you just do it? So for the whole of kind of 2017 to the end of 2017, it was something that I was wrestling with. Should I do it? Should I not do it? You know, teaching is safe. And I loved my school. I loved my colleagues. I loved the kids. And I absolutely, I still dream about my school. I I just love it so much. Yeah, it was just such a nice place to be apart from all of the stresses that kind of come with teaching. And so I was wrestling with it for ages. And also financially, I was in debt. I didn't have any savings and any money that I was making from blogging, I was kind of reinvesting back into my brand in terms of taking courses and updating my website and buying new equipment and all that kind of stuff. But what happened was at the beginning of 2018, I lost my dad and I lost my mum back in 2016, which was, that was my turning point in terms of throwing myself out there and like really going for it with my blog. And then 2018, lost my dad. And it was that moment of life is too short not to take the risk and not to take the jump. So I'd already kind of agreed with my school that I'd go part time because I was still struggling with the grief from losing my mum. I really needed the space for, you know, therapy and to get well in my brain. Yeah, And then that losing my dad was like the tipping point. So I I said, you know, I'm going to, I need full time. And for me, the risk of losing out on money or like a consistent kind of salary was far outweighed in that I really just needed the space to be able to do my own thing. Yeah. So yeah, it was a kind of couple of years of building, a year of wrestling with it back and forth, back and forth, running the numbers. What do I need to do? How many brand deals do I need to have each month to be able to pay for my rent and pay my debts and pay my bills? And how can I do this? How can I do that? To that kind of final push of that, you know, if you don't go for it now, you never will. So yeah,
0: it's interesting because I feel like everyone has some sort of tipping point Mm. that, that leads them to actually jumping ship. Because it's interesting because a lot, I mean, some people who have their own career, I guess obviously blogging is a full-time job for influencers because it is so full-on, especially like, you know, working with brands and having to actually generate new and fresh content to Mm. continue to engage with their audience and stuff like that. So I know, I mean, I know a lot of influencers who have started their own business, but actually by doing that anyway, you've already taken that step from leaving a full-time job, which many people see as security. So Mm. there is always that tipping point that actually makes you go,
1: security versus risk and then you just kind of jump ship Mm. so yeah good for you it's a lot of faith as well and i at the time i didn't have a lot of faith in myself i had a very sort of negative mindset in terms of that was a, a year of that like working on myself and telling myself you know if it doesn't work out, you can get another job. You can go back to teaching and really wrestling with that mindset. And I know that that's what a lot of people struggle with is actually having that faith to take that leap. Yeah, I feel like, cause I've had a few situations like this in my life. I just feel like I'm that type of person that kind of just goes fuck it and deal with the consequences later, rather than it being like a brave decision, more of like a self-destruct decision where you just like, <laughs> throw it all away. It doesn't matter. And you'll figure it out if you have to.
0: Do you know what? I'm exactly the same. Yeah. Exactly the same. I think also like I guess when you leave a full time job, right? You're like, okay, cool. Well, worse comes to worse, what we can do, just get another job. Exactly. Like <laughs> So I think as much risk as you think there is, actually, maybe there's not as much as you think there is, and it's just your internal mind being like, You can't do this when you're like, actually I can and I'm gonna prove it because I'm gonna have to, because
1: <laughs> I need to make money. That's exactly it. And I think that's really tough as well, because at the time I didn't have anything to fall back on. My parents weren't in a financially secure place where I had like a little cushion of funds that I could fall back on if it didn't work out. I was in a very early stage of my relationship with my now husband. So it wasn't going to be like, and I, you know, I'm a very staunch, like independent person. There was no way I was going cap in hand. I would have gotten a job doing literally anything before I asked for help with like rental bills. So I didn't have anything to fall back on. But previously, earlier on in life, in my like early twenties, I'd had hundreds of different jobs and the minute I didn't like it I sacked it off and I'd be unemployed and I'd have to go on like job seekers or I'd have to do a different job than the one that I really wanted to do and every single time I managed to bounce back from it so I almost had that as my only safety net of that kind of thing of like you have been at rock bottom when it comes to work and finances literally rock bottom and you have to claw your way back so what's going to be different this time whereas I know that a lot of people who perhaps maybe have never had to take that leap or have never hit that rock bottom, who've always sort of operated from that place of security. It can feel like a bigger leap to take because it's the unknown. Whereas for me it wasn't ever unknown because I'd started and quit jobs a hundred times before. So I think that's probably an element of it as well.
0: So you knew you could do it.
1: Yeah. Or I knew that subconsciously scenario, you know, you could always get another job. You can always retrain or and I think as well, because I didn't train to be a teacher until I was twenty three. So I didn't do it straight out of uni. I'd had my early 20s doing X amount of other millions of different jobs. So because I'd already retrained to be a teacher, I probably somewhere inside me went, well, if this doesn't work out and teaching is causing you too much stress, you can either go back to teaching or you can retrain in something else. And I just had a year of wrestling with those things and doing the yeah, but yeah, but yeah, but and just giving myself that thing of like, if it goes to shit, you will be okay.
0: Yeah. And I think that's the right attitude to have. Absolutely. It really is. So in terms of jobs, I always like to ask people this question who are new to the podcast. What is, it doesn't, when I say worst job, I'm talking more about like, what do you consider to be the funniest job that you've ever had? Or like, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the real something that, I mean, so for example, someone that I previously had on the podcast said they used to dress up as a Noel stockpot and hand out leaflets Brilliant. at the train station. So, I mean, I'm talking about like one of these jobs, like, mm-hmm. can you, what's your first kind of job that was like similar to that? Or first job?
1: Yeah, my very, very first job was when I was 14 and I worked in a bakery for 2 pounds <sighs> fifteen an hour during the week and one day of a weekend so that was my very first job and then I've done lots of different things but my probably one of my most interesting jobs is that I used to work in film so I used to be a film runner or production wow. and intern so I've worked on a couple of films met a couple of famous people through working in films. So that, they were probably my best stories because of who I met and things that sort of went on. I worked at Thought Park on their like ride photos. Okay, that
0: is a great job. Yeah. That's that's what I was looking for. That's yeah. gold dust right there.
1: <laughs> but quit after about a week because yeah, I was working with these guys and they were just very guy and very sort of like, nice. oh, let's watch back this ride video because this girl flashes her boobs. And I was just like, nah, not for me. Oh. I don't want to be in that kind of, laddie atmosphere so that lasted about a week I worked at Woolworths for a day because I couldn't bear it oh RIP Woolworths love RIP you Woolworths I know and um, another funny one is that I once worked for a debt collection agency for a day and I had to quit because I phoned myself oh <gasps> yeah what <laughs> so I'd get my like virgin membership lapse to the point where it was like defaulting and it got sent to a collection agency and it happened to be the collection agency that I then went to go and work for. And I was sat at my desk and when you have to phone people, it does like automatically dial. So when one person hangs up, the next person is automatically dialed. And I just remember it dialing and me just like looking at the number on the screen that it was dialing and being like, that number looks really familiar. And then like being like, oh, I'm here to talk about a Virgin Gym membership defaulting. I've defaulted on my Virgin Gym membership and this is my own phone number that is amazing yeah I do have loads of these things I also worked as a temp an admin temp for a week and I was supposed to do temping there for four weeks but I had to quit after a week because I fanny farted in the office and I couldn't live it down oh I mean sometimes you just got to style those things out but yeah no I just walked I I did it walked in picked up my bag and walked straight back out and never came back
0: oh I was mortified
1: (laughs) sounds like you made the right decision though yeah I mean looking back now it was like it's hilarious but at the time I just remembered being absolutely devastated
0: yeah this is what I mean
1: it's like if I can be in an office of like 30 people and let the biggest fanny fart rip and still be alive
0: you can do anything
1: yeah (laughs) and that is the more of this podcast thank you for
0: listening and um, have a good rest of your day That is amazing. Okay, so moving on, because this is the real reason why I wanted to get you on this, because we have previously done a live about this, and it was really good, because you have a very interesting perspective on this, because we're, I mean, I'm talking from the sort of brand and, I guess, agency side of it with what I do, but obviously, because you are an influencer in your own right, and you are an educator, and you work with, you know, people on their personal browser do exactly this. I think it's a really good topic to cover. Mm. I basically want to pick your brains and have a discussion about how brands can work with influencers because Mm. I think, Whatever brands or new brands think they know about influencers, and I mean, I've seen some shocking messages to influencers from brands being like, you're ungrateful and blah, 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 all this stuff. Mm. I think it's really important to go sort of eyes wide open into any sort of relationship that brands have with influencers and vice versa, just, you know, for both parties so that everyone knows sort of what the deal is and what the situation is. Mm. Because the way, you know, the way in which people work with influencers is so, so different now to how it was when influencers were first a thing, because there was a lot of gifting going on. And then it was like, hang on, I can make money from this. Mm. And now there's a slightly different balance going on. And there's obviously lots of now legal things that need to be declared around ads and gifting and all of this sort of stuff. So you are the best person to speak to Mm. about this.
1: Yeah, I love diving into this topic. It's a juicy one for sure.
0: It is a juicy one. And I feel like there's so much more to cover than can be done in 40 minutes. But we'll give it a good go. And I think mainly, I guess, the kind of things that I like to cover are the things that people ask the most, which Mm is who should you be working with? How do you approach them? And then what happens after that? So do you have any advice for anyone on how to go about finding the right influencers to work with on their brand?
1: Well, the first thing I always say whenever I chat to brands about working with influencers is I ask them to go back even further before that, like strip it right back. Why do you want to work with influencers? Often I find that some brands... I call it the Mrs. Hinch effect. They saw in sort of 2018, Mrs. Hinch grow this phenomenal, dedicated, engaged following overnight, literally overnight. Mm. And feature, you know, nowadays it's like the Stacey Solomon effect, feature a small brand or business and completely sell out, scale their business, like 10x their revenue. And a lot of other brands, smaller brands particularly, started to think, wow, that could be me. If I got an influencer like a Mrs. Hinch, like a Stacey Solomon to feature my product, they could completely revolutionize and change my business. And that's what I wonder sometimes with this is, is it a bit of a an illusion, a dream that could happen? So it's good to really strip back why you're wanting to work with influencers and also manage your expectations. because. And Mrs. Hinch or Stacey Solomon, any of those influencers are real one-offs in terms of how they've cultivated their audience, how engaged their audience are, and how they showcase the brands that they do. That's the first thing I ask them to dig into. And the second big question I ask around it is budget, because what I've experienced a lot of times with brands is that they feel like influencer marketing is free because they can just send a product. Like these brands sent Mrs. Hinch a free product. They didn't have to pay her. She featured them, but the return on investment was thousands, hundreds of thousands, because they didn't have to pay her because that was very early on and very much in like an unsavvy influencer marketing kind of way. And I think that that's what a lot of brands want to kind of replicate. And I always say, like, what budget do you have? And also, if you're not willing to pay an influencer... What do you do when you need somebody to help you with your SEO? Do you send them a candle and then they do the SEO on your website? Or if you have a a graphic designer, can you send them a pen and they'll do your graphic design for you? That's not how drafting service providers for your business works. And I think that that's the clarity to kind of make around this is that when you're working with an influencer, you're drafting a service and that service is content engagement and relationships with that influencer's audience. And that's what you're trying to tap into. Now, does every influencer have to be paid? We can absolutely get into that. But I think they're the big foundational questions to ask. Is it really that you want to work with an influencer because you want that golden ticket where you send them a free product, they feature it to their 2.4 million followers, and you make £60,000 worth of sales in a day? Is that what your objective is? Because if it is, you're going to be upset.
0: Yeah, I agree. It's an interesting one, actually, because I mean, for Partner & Wine, just because during the series, I quite like to refer back to it. Because obviously, now I've launched a product, I have a totally different point of view to cover. But I think with Partner & Wine, I mean, I know personally a lot of influencers. So obviously, it's easier for me to get in touch with people because I work with these people sort of day to day and all of this stuff. But I, I mean, the main thing for me is not the actual return on investment in the mm-hmm. sales and stuff like that. It's when you first start a brand, I really feel like working with influencers helps you with brand awareness. Mm. And that I think sometimes we have to put the sales to the back of our mind, because yes, we want to make money. But how do we make money in the long run, not just out to make a quick buck?
1: Yeah. 100% and that's the key thing to identify with your influencer marketing activity is what is your objective because if it's directly sales then that's not necessarily what influencer marketing is all about it is exactly like you said it's brand awareness it's growing you know a brand's following which comes under brand awareness and that is something that can't necessarily be measured because like you said somebody who follows an influencer could find out about a brand through that influencer and then needs to follow that brand for a week a month, a year before they buy. So it's really hard to see how much of that was effective with an influencer and how much that influencer actually influenced that sale, as it were. Yeah. That's something definitely to bear in mind with. And I think that's where a lot of times small businesses and brands do get disappointed when they don't hit the Mrs. Hinch golden ticket because there's no way of tracking whether the influencer that they did choose to work with actually helped them somewhere later down the line. Do you know what actually is quite
0: interesting is, so if you look at your website analytics, for example, and I was looking at this earlier today, which is why I say it. So an influencer posted, I think it was on Friday night last week, posted a picture of something that I'd gifted them from partner of mine. And we had a few sales that night and then we had a few the next day and then a few the next day, and then one today. And I looked at the one today, and it said, the first visit to your website was on Friday night at X time. They've returned to your store seven times since, Mm. and after five days or however many days it was they've now converted so I think you have to take it with a pinch of salt and I think people expect that obviously this was a pinch effect someone's going to post it and then instantly you're going to sell out and it's just not not going to happen and there's many many reasons why that could be but yeah I think it's one of those things that I think when you first dip your toes in the water I think it's good to sort of actually understand the spending habits of people when you do work with influencers and what happens after that and how you can try to track it back to one particular person I suppose
1: yeah exactly and the other thing as well is that you don't know necessarily where that person was in their journey to decision to buy because sometimes the influencer can be the trigger to buy because they might have been following your brand for 6 months you know liking your Instagram pictures but never actually pressing buy but then their favorite influencer suddenly is showcasing your product that could be the trigger but again it's quite conceptual to be able to track when that trigger happened. It is good if you can set up your Google Analytics and your tracking codes and things like that on your website, because that does give you a better idea of, you know, you can attribute, oh, okay, well, this influencer posted at 8pm and at 8.01pm we had 200 hits, where normally at 8pm we have 20 hits. Like you can start kind of saying it from there, but even there it's never like an exact, exact science. yeah And again, it might be that the influencer triggers the follow to the brand, but the sale doesn't come until, you know, six months of nurturing through content, email, and other touch points from the brand itself.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, uh, I mean, it's a really interesting one. I think that kind of goes for any sort of marketing Mm. channel that you do. And I think a great thing to actually compare influencer marketing to, well, not compare, but actually properly kind of go this and that is physical PR because I'm working with a PR agency at the moment. I think that's very similar in terms of the way that you actually can't track where those sales come from. Because if you're in a magazine, there is no way that you're going to know if someone's visited your website from google just from reading that magazine yeah. so again longer time to convert and also obviously it so depends what your product is and who you choose to work with and, and send your send your products to yeah. so i guess with that in mind i mean one of the things that i would say when choosing influencers is that there's a lot of spreadsheet work that goes on over here at partner of mine slash sassy hq you have lots of different spreadsheets on the go about Different people who would fit sort of different brands, not that we work with it with clients, but I just personally find it quite interesting, mm. especially when you're starting out. It's when you're going down the route between gifting versus paid posts, which I'd like to move on to in a second. I think it's really interesting to actually look at influencers from a point of, okay, how many brands do they actually work with? Would my product fit in with their content and what they're posting? And then obviously, you know, making a note of how many followers someone has, because if you do want to work with an influencer on a paid basis, obviously, the more followers and the more engagement can account for a higher fee and stuff like that. So I mean, I think it does take a lot of research. And there's not really a sort of, I don't think there's any sort of templates you can go and buy that will tell you like which influencers to work with and stuff like that. It's Mm -hmm. very much a sort of intuitive thing. And I also think that in terms of working with influencers i think sometimes people think that they're actually working with a business Mm -hmm. rather than an influencer so when you're approaching people not to think of it as like a obviously you're thinking of it as a business transaction but i guess also there is a person behind that brand and so to very much be personable when you do it is quite important so anyway that was not related at all i just i just felt like i had to say that so gifting versus paid what are your thoughts
1: I strongly believe that if a brand wants to draft a service, so they want a specific content shot in a specific way using specific handles, specific hashtags, and they want that element of kind of creative control over the content because it's something they may want to then repurpose for their other channels or for their marketing materials, then you're drafting the service of a creative service and it needs to be paid. However, I don't like the term gifting because I feel like it's more like a PR transaction rather than a financial transaction. That situation there is still very valuable, but it's very hard to say to an influencer who is running their own business, whether they're doing it as a hobby, part-time, full-time, my requirements are X, Y, Z, and for that, I'm going to give you a candle. Like That's where I have the problem. However, there's a way of cultivating relationships with influencers Via organic engagement, organic support of their brand, organic relationship and chatting about your brand, about their brand, where you can qualify that influencer as being a good fit for your brand, as supporting your brand and buying into your brand, even if they haven't physically bought anything from you yet. But, you know, just returning that engagement that will almost guarantee that they will share it about you and they will post about you, but it will be in a way that they want to and in a way that's organic to them and organic to their audience. And that's where it gets murky because I feel like when you're directing content, it's the same as you're drafting, like I said, an email marketer or a PR person or a graphic designer. You can't draft a service of someone and only offer a product in return. Mm. Again, it's nuanced because if it's a very expensive product or a very high value product, it might be slightly different. But most small businesses would see more of a result if they organically built that relationship and built that trust between brand and influencer, ensured almost that that influencer became a fan of the brand and a fan of the person behind the brand so that when items were sent out, you've almost guaranteed that that influencer will provide the content and often go above and beyond what it is that you want from them. But the second, you know, because influencers are getting more savvy. Second, you say, I want all of these requirements for a pen is where the influencer goes well actually I'm going to send you my rate card and actually I deserve to be paid for my work so Mm. yeah it's a very very delicate sort of dance to be danced between brand and influencer for sure
0: it is and I also think I mean in terms of seeing where influencers are coming from on that say you you send said pen and you're going I want a feed post in return for this pen and a story and a reel and blah, blah blah all of these things take way more time than you actually think they do they take planning they take you know hair and makeup and you know all of these sorts of things if that's you know if that's relevant to that influencer and then obviously the posting of it that takes extra time and in terms of capturing that content you know there's equipment that has to be bought Mm -hmm. you know that's not being paid for down the shop with the pen or a candle or whatever Mm -hmm. so there is a lot more that actually goes into producing content than I sometimes think you know new small businesses actually think that there is
1: absolutely and the one thing that again nobody ever ever thinks of is that the reason why you want to work with that influencer is because in your eyes they have an engaged community That would be interested in your product. How much time goes into building an engaged community, even if it's a thousand, a hundred, ten thousand, a hundred thousand? How much time and effort and energy goes into engaging an audience and actually positioning yourself to be in a place where you are influential? It's very much that thing in my eyes that anyone can be an influencer, but not everyone can be influential. And what you're paying for or what you're gifting or what the influencer you want to work with, you want to work with them because you see they're influential. If they're not influential, if they're not getting any results and they're not positioning brands in a good light, you're not going to get a result from them. Why would you work with them? Where there Mm. are so many influencers out there who are truly influential, but they've taken a lot of time to hone that craft of storytelling, relationship building and that kind of thing. So again, it's that thing of like, what do you want out of this? Do you just want somebody who calls themselves an influencer to showcase your product? The risk is there is that you could literally get zero back. Or do you actually want to work with somebody who knows the art of storytelling of relationship building and who will position your product and brand in the best, most organic, most authentic, but most inspiring way possible? And if that's the case, like, should that be free? When that is such a skill, And I think it's that perception of influencers, isn't it? Because like you said, everyone thinks it's just posting a picture and, you know, whacking a picture up. But if so, my gram could be an influencer. You know, pony down the road could be an influencer if it's just taking a photo and posting it. But the fact... Well, I think it might be because it might be the first pony in the world that's done. Yeah. (laughs) But actually having the skill to position your brand in a good light has taken a lot of time to build. So it's just so nuanced, isn't it? And I think it just comes down to what your intentions are. I always find it hilarious when I've spoken to small brands and things before who want to work with influencers on a content creation basis. And they come to me with like the list of creators that they want to work with who are absolute just like wizards with content creation in terms of how awe-inspiring the content is. And they don't want to pay for them, but they want to be able to have their content associated with their brand. What? Yeah.
0: That's like saying to, I mean, I've had this conversation with my photographer before, but that's like me saying to Lydia who does our photography, look, right. I love all your work mm. and I really want that vibe. Yeah. But I don't want to pay you for it. Yeah. I'm going to gift you a bottle in return for your thing. Services. Yeah, that just would not, Well, you wouldn't.
1: And we we don't do it to plumbers or our gardeners or, you know, decorators or things like that where we draft in a service. We can't say, oh, I'll give you this because of it. But I think it just because of the perception of influencers. And we, we have to admit, like I said, anyone can call themselves an influencer. Not everyone is influential and there are a lot of people out there with hashtag influencer in their Instagram bio who are nothing of the sort and they can't get results for brands and they don't have a history of storytelling or stellar content creation. It's just they like getting free stuff and they like sticking up a story about it. And that's the other tricky thing sometimes with brands is that sometimes the influencers that will do a brilliant, brilliant job for your brand are the ones that are going to have high fees. So how are you going to be able to find that sweet spot of an influencer who is an excellent content creator, has excellent relationships, is brilliant at storytelling for brands, but who may be like earlier on in their career or who may be somebody who's so aligned with your brand that they would do anything for you. And that really boils down to building those relationships, having your spreadsheet that you've got of your influencers that you're constantly keeping an eye on, qualifying, building a relationship with. And taking that more like considered approach with it as opposed to like the shot in the dark. Oh, this person says they're an influencer. Let me see if I can send them my so-and-so.
0: Yeah, totally agree with what you're saying in the way of, you know, anyone can be an influencer, but not everyone has influence, right? Because I think a particular example with when I was starting Partner in Wine is I didn't start by doing influencer marketing. Mm -hmm. What I did was I was building up the audience. And then when I was doing that, I noticed that a lot of my friends were reposting it to their stories and then I would get followers from that. And, you know, then in terms of when we actually launched the products, people who were buying them because they've been following it on social media, they were all posting it to their stories and posting you know it came in the post and this and that and the other and so actually it's funny because in the same way that you see your your mate wearing a top and you'd be like oh where'd you get that from Mm -hmm. that is influencing and if you find someone that has you know the right style well just as an example someone who's got the right style and you all follow that person on instagram for the right style and they could be a friend of yours Mm -hmm. and you know they might not have thousands of followers Mm -hmm. but you're following because you know that they've got a good party dress sense and you Mm want to get inspiration from them That person has influence. yeah. So sometimes you may not, if you don't have the budget for it, you may not be starting off by paying influencers who have thousands of followers, Uh but actually finding people that have the right sort of fit for your brand that are actually just starting out in their journey as an influencer or content creator or whatever it is that they might be trying to do with their social
1: media and maybe running down that sort of route as well. Yeah, massively. And I think that's it. And I loved when you launched Partner in Wine because I I thought the launch was just so adept at getting people interested and the repost that you're doing of people saying i've bought i've bought i bought they weren't influencers they were friends of friends of friends who then got their friends to buy and i had a very similar situation with grow and glow when we first started when we first started we had like an affiliate program and we asked our founding members to be affiliates and if they enjoyed grow and glow and they felt they were getting lots of value from it to share it with their audiences and at the same time i approached one of my influencer sort of I wouldn't say a friend, like an influencer or acquaintance and said, I don't have much budget because we've just started, but would you do some like awareness that we've just launched this membership and this, that, and the other. And I paid them like a, a fee. And the influencer who shared about it on the stories and said, you know, join Grow & Glow, Vix has just launched this thing. It's really great. I've been given a free membership to try and I love what's in there so far. Didn't bring any new followers, didn't bring us any new members. But one of our members who had at the time, maybe 2000 followers on Instagram, but The content was beautiful. Blog posts were really well thought out. You know, whole branding was just like on point. Wrote a blog post about how great it was to be a Grow & Glow member and brought in something like 12 new members of Grow & Glow, which went at the time loads, but they've all stayed for over a year. So then there's like lifetime customer attention on that. And that was because it came from, it. not saying that the first person wasn't coming from a genuine place because they were a friend and I gave them like early access to look at Grow and Glow and they were still blown away by it. But coming from like that recommendation that wasn't coming from I'm an influencer, let me influence you perspective. Yeah. Just even more powerful, you know? So there's those little things to think about. There's
0: something in, there's something in investing in a product and then recommending it. I mean, <laughs> this is a totally obscure example, but did you see on my stories yesterday about my Hoover situation? Yeah. <laughs> I have never, ever, ever had that many responses to anything that I have ever posted, right? People bloody love their Hoovers, right? So does that make me now a Hoover influencer? Because when I reveal which Hoover I've bought, there is going to be a lot of, you know, there is going to be a lot of upset people. Let me tell you that now. But
1: does it make you a Hoover influencer or does it make the person who messaged you and said, actually, you should get the Dyson V2 service? And you go, oh yeah, actually, I trust this person. They (laughs) they normally speak, sense. I get the Hoover that they told
0: Do you know what? That's exactly what happened. I wasn't even intending to spend, I I mean, I went and spent more than my actual budget was because I had a friend that messaged me and said, I have this Hoover and trust me, spend the extra hundred pounds because buy once, buy well. Mm -hmm. So she influenced me, a personal friend of mine who, she runs a business, but she just has her own sort of personal account, whatever. I've now gone and bought this Hoover. When I then post it online, because I've spent my own money on it. Mm. When you spend your own money on things, people do actually obviously believe it and go with your recommendation a lot more. So it's, It is an interesting one, customer influence, because it's definitely a thing.
1: Just to add to that as well, we actually teach this in Grow & Glow to the, we did a bundle for the influencers members that we have. And I actually say to my members in Grow & Glow, you need to have an organic relationship with the brand first and force any small businesses that are listening, go into your customer base because you might have influencers that are already customers rather than seeking out influencers who've not necessarily ever heard of you before. My example that I, or two examples that I always gave when I teach this is firstly, Oliver Bonus. I've been a fan of Oliver Bonus for years, shopping in there all the time, all the time, all the time. And the day I first got the email asking to be on their PR list was the best day I've ever had. And when I went into their PR to chat with them and network, they said, you know, we've seen you for the last however many years tagging your Oliver Bonus (sighs) on your profile. You always tag us. You always feature us. You always say, this is what you got from Oliver Bonus. This is what you got here. And that's what they recognized. And similarly, this is so random, but I frigging love borsan cheese. My husband yeah, yeah. And do. I have it multiple times a week. And every single time we were having borsan pasta, borsan this, I was always just tagging it on social media because I thought it was like a lol, you know, like this is how much I love borsan, I'm talking about it all the time. Hashtag <laughs> Borsan influencer. And they got in touch. Let's add you to our PR list. Next time we do a round of influencer activity, we'll be in touch. Da da da. And I know for a fact that when I did my first ever Oliver Bonus like collaboration, where they'd gifted me some like really lovely stuff, my audience was so into it. And so like, oh my gosh, I'm going to go and get that. Oh my gosh, I'm going to go and get that. Because they knew that I already liked the brand. And similarly, anytime I now post about Borsan, or I even get other people tagging me in their content about Borsan. So as a small business... Go into your customer base and see who's already influencing on your behalf, because that's going to be a much easier route to getting people to feature you organically for free until you're at that space that maybe you can perhaps create an influencer campaign.
0: I think that's relevant for any business to be honest because I, I mean it does make me wonder with like this whole hoover gate it does make me wonder I mean I didn't tag any brands because I was asking for recommendations between x y and z mm-hmm. but it does make you wonder doesn't it that if you know say for example it gets to like next year and I'm like okay what steam mop shall I buy mm-hmm. and I've been tagging all these brands and stuff like that and then you know actually for bigger brands does it kind of work when actually it's almost like being like a mole mm-hmm. being like a you know, like a little mole that's just because I've been talking about all this house stuff, actually, you know, people are engaged with mm-hmm. it. And these are just all normal people. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I I count myself as an all person, I don't make any content that's any, you know, I'm not a content creator, I wouldn't consider at all. Mm. So I
1: think it's relevant to any business it's, it's really interesting. I think as well, what we need to go back to is how influencing even got started. And that is literally how it got started. And I think Mm. a cyclical thing where it started where normal in air quotes, people were talking about their favorite things. Brands started to go, oh, this person has mentioned this thing X amount of times. And we've noticed an uplift in sales every time this person has spoken about it. Maybe next time as a thank you, we could send you some of it, or we could actually pay you to talk about it even more because we see that return on investment. And then in that cycle, then people clock on and they get savvy and marketers get savvy and influencers get savvy and they go, well, I know when I've spoken about this brand, I've given this return or I've done this and I've done that. And brands go, well, we know when we've worked with this person, we've worked this person. This is the result that we get. So it goes in that cyclical thing. But the problem there is that from an audience perspective, now they don't trust influencers because everyone is so savvy that it's like, well, you either got that for free or you were paid to speak about it. And because now everyone is so savvy, there was a report released in 2018, I think by like HubSpot or something like that. that uh, no, it's actually a government report into online advertising. And they asked the general public how, like on a scale, how much they trusted influencers. And the result was 2% of people trusted influencers. Wow. So now we're almost coming out of that cycle again, where people don't trust influencers. And this is where a lot of these brand campaigns fall down because people look at it and go, oh, this is a campaign. Of course, they're going to say that. It's like the eye roll. But when your mate says it, when we're back to the air quotes, normal person, suddenly it's like, oh, my best friends told me about it. Of course, it must be true. Yeah. And then we enter into that cycle again. And that's how I see the whole influencer industry kind of going is it's just going to be in that cycle forever between peak influencer, can't trust them as far as I can throw them to them kind of readjusting and going actually I need to make sure that authenticity is coming across way more. Maybe I need to do more organic content. Maybe I need to change up the brands that I'm working with so it seems more organic and I can really get back to who my audience want to see. And then it gets savvy again (laughs) and we just keep going in that cycle. But Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it is an odd one. And I think also You know, when a friend recommends something to you, I mean, a lot of the time I'll be like, you know, I mean, just to use a totally random example, looking for a carpenter, say, for example, Mm. and a friend goes, oh, I I know of a good carpenter. I haven't personally used them, but I know so-and-so that's used them. Mm. So it's kind of, I guess, with influencer marketing, it can be like that. You know, you might go, I've got really bad skin at the moment. I'm not Mm. quite sure what to do because the weather's changed. It's very dry. And your friend might go, I saw so-and-so the other day, I can't remember who it was now, but they were using X, Y and Z and that could have come from an influencer Mm -hmm. and it kind of just flows down the kind of recommendation list, I guess. So, Yeah. yeah, it's a difficult one. I think it depends i think if you find influencers that you find are authentic and you like the way that they deliver ads and stuff like that and mm. i really think that's a good thing to, yeah. to look into and
1: there are definitely them out there and there sometimes they may be the less obvious ones but thinking about what's most important for your brand is it the most important thing the engagement with their audience then look for uh, influencers who have high engagement in terms of the conversations not in like metrics but the conversations that they have in their comments are they actually having conversations with their audience about things or do they post and ghost kind of thing if it's that you want high quality of content because then you can repurpose it and it means that you don't have to hire a branding photographer or this, that and the other or content creator. You can just use sort of this like user generated content and set that as your objective, you know, but really dig into what outcome you want to have and then work out from there the best influencer that's going to help you achieve it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's was 100%. You've hit the nail on the head. Yeah, baby. So just to finish this up, I thought this would be a nice fun game of what not to say to an influencer when you're approaching them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> great. Do you want to start this off or should I start this off? From an influencer perspective, we've all literally, I don't know an influencer who's not had this where it's been like, hey, blogger. Yeah. Or hey, like one name or want to collab. You get a lot of those kind of messages. So that's a definite no.
0: Or the uh, hey at Instagram handle.
1: Yeah. Oh, Oh.
0: okay. You haven't even bothered to look at my name, yeah. even though it's in the handle. But okay, interesting. Just done a male merge here for sure. Yeah, really, really interesting. <laughs> I suppose this is what not to say, but like obviously that copy and pasting thing, mm. copying, pasting the actual body message, mm. I just think is so, I mean, it's a person-to-person relationship, mm. especially when you're a small business. I always like introduce myself as like the founder of the brand. If mm-hmm. I'm emailing from partner and wine, I'll be like, I started this business in lockdown, blah, 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 blah. So they get to know a little bit about you. But I always start off with something more about them. Like, hey, mm-hmm. so-and-so, hope you had a really lovely holiday. You know, snorkeling with sharks looked amazing. Something like that to actually let this influencer know that you follow them mm-hmm. and you engage with them. You wouldn't just go off on one to your mates yeah. that you hadn't caught up with, you know, you've got to be more personal about these things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes as well, it's not a good idea to start off with what you want out of it. And that's what you sometimes get a lot is, hey, Vix, we were wondering if you could do us one grid post, three stories, one IGTV, one reel and a tweet for us. And then you then as the influencer have to go back and say, Okay, cool. Who are you? What do you do? Never heard of you before. I mean, I I ignore those. But you know, if that was the way you're inclined, what is it you want me to share? Like, what's the foundations of the company? You know, just going in with can you do this for us? That's not a good route. But exactly like you said, going in and introducing yourself, saying, are you from an agency? Are you from the PR? Are you from the brand itself? That's very handy to know a bit about the brand and most importantly why you want to work with that influencer in particular we love your style of content we love the engagement you have with your audience we really respect this we da, 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 da. it is always a much better way of starting those emails for sure
0: yeah definitely and I think I
1: personally when I approach influencers that I don't
0: know I would personally never discuss business up front because I just think that's a strange thing to do you'd be mm. like I have this product like what do you think of it sort mm. of thing and then if they're like, oh, OK, I'm interested, then you can sort of gauge, you know, whether it's on a paid level or, you know, you want to send your product to them with a sort of no obligation to do anything, really. Mm. The amount of products I like send out to press and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's kind of just a written off expense that mm. you expect to deal with. But yeah, as I said, I would never sort of approach that up front because it's just not the way you'd have a conversation in real life. Mm. And then you, I guess you can just discuss business afterwards. So, um, yeah, especially if you want to get something out of it and you're expecting it free that's probably something i wouldn't say either i wouldn't go yeah i'll gift it to you if you do x y and z because yeah. that goes down like a lead balloon yeah yeah <laughs> but people still do it cool well fix is there anything else that you would like to add to this
1: No, I think we've covered good ground there. I think hopefully for everyone that's watching, it just gives them a bit of that food for thought before diving into their influencer marketing is just to, yeah, get to grips with your objectives and the outcomes that you hope for and do that research around those influencers. And most, 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 most important thing is build those relationships first.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, actually, do you know what? If that was my number one tip, it would be don't just follow and then message straight away. Mm. Do the groundwork. Be a silent follower, comment authentically. Yeah, definitely build those relationships first. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. That was so
1: good. I always love chatting to you. I feel like we could just go on for hours. Oh yeah, 100%. No, I I like that we're on the same wavelength and our chats, I feel like they're always productive chats. We always come away with it with thinking points and like, oh yeah, that's a very good point. So thank you so much for having me.
0: You are very welcome. I'm sure I will be, I've recorded three podcasts today. I'm worried I'm going to be like, (laughs) night Because I always do that. I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, "That was a really good point." <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, Vix, where can we find you? Yeah, come and find me at Vix meldry on Instagram. If you want to know more about Grow and Glow, come over to at GrowGlow.co, or you can come to our website, which is also GrowGlow.co. And yeah, yeah come and chat with me. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much, Vix. Awesome. Thank you, my love
0: thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I really hope that you found value in that, whether you are looking to launch a product yourself or you're just interested in the process. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast and please, please, please leave a review if you enjoyed this episode or you are enjoying the series. It really does mean a lot to have your feedback and to know that you guys are listening and involved. So yeah, please do go and subscribe and make sure you're following me on Instagram. You can follow me at Lucy Hitchcock underscore. You can follow at the Wing Podcast, and if you want digital marketing tips, you can follow at Sassy Digital. And obviously, if I've got any breath left. Please go and follow at Partner in Wine UK, where, as well as posting about all of our latest products and everything that we're launching, I do make sure that we do plenty of behind the scenes so you can see exactly what it is like to run a product based business. And I'll be back next week with another episode.